Uh, so I guess we will start. So this is, I think, episode four, maybe, of the, the Starseed Fitness podcast. And today I have on Kristen, who is one of my best friends, and she is also a fitness coach. And I met her a couple years ago and just immediately hit it off um, with you and Chris. And there's one of the few times, you know, there's probably been like three people in my life that I just really hit it off that quickly with, and it's really rare. And we just connected and started getting on this same path of fitness and, and just kind of pursuing our best self. And after knowing you this long and like your whole life story and all these different things, like this isn't like my other podcast where, you know, like I kind of learned their life stories. I go with it. I kind of know yours. So I, this is why I'm kind of excited because I know it's really interesting story. So I I guess I want to start with like the first event in your life, like just kind of something, the first kind of big event that, you know, registered kind of in your consciousness. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, it's just is my life. So, and I think as people, we kind of doubt our stories or we often look at other people and think about their lives or imagine, you know, what it would be like to have a different life. And we take this energy and focus off of just appreciating our own lives. Um, so it's, it's interesting to kind of go into this space and kind of talk about it. Um, I think that the event that really changed my life, uh, when I was 14, I had a very normal upbringing. My parents are still married. I have a younger sister, a younger brother. Uh, we grew up in suburban Midwest America. Um, and when I was 14, my dad and I, we would take these motorcycle trips and we would go for like a week and just kind of pick a direction and go. And we would go with another father, daughter, um, a guy that my dad worked with and his daughter who was just around my age, her and I got along great. And when I was 14, we were headed to North Carolina. Um, and my friend, the other daughter had actually brought, like, she was a couple years older. I was 14. She was 16. And she brought her little like pickup truck as kind of the chase car behind the motorcycles that our dads were driving. And I was kind of hopping back and forth between being on the motorcycle with my dad and being in the car with Kim. And we kind of got off as we were coming out of Ohio and going south, we um, were on like a detour. There was some road construction or something. It was a beautiful, bright, sunny day, like not a cloud in the sky. And when we got off on this like detour highway and had to cross and kind of go down the other side to get back on our path, um, there was, we pulled up to a stop sign and her dad went, my dad went and Kim, I think didn't realize just how fast this truck was coming the other direction. Was it like, so was it a highway or just a, a busier road? Yeah, no, it was a highway. Was okay. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of pulled off on this detour road, had to cross over the highway and then kind of head up the other side. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what you're saying. So this traffic, as we were sitting at this stop sign, 
which later we find out that this is a horrible intersection. Accidents happen there all the time. The police in the area actually drove around with Xeroxed copies of the intersection in their cruisers because there were so many accidents there. There is a light there now in honor of my friend, Um, but at the time, just a stop sign. And it was a two-lane highway, you know, we're crossing. So I think she just, he was going 85 miles an hour in a 55 mile per hour speed zone. Wow. And I just don't think she, I don't think she necessarily had the driving experience. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know in that situation, I don't know even if an experienced driver would have registered how fast he was coming yeah when you're looking at a vehicle you know like coming up the road or even if you're just on the highway and ahead there's like standstill traffic if you're like facing kind of head-on where you're looking at the front or the back it is really really difficult to judge speed yeah and that's exactly it was like i mean i remember looking out the driver's side where she was sitting and and looking at the front of this truck that was coming. And it was a semi. I think with semis, it's hard to tell how fast they're going anyway. They're just so big. Um, and usually they're not going that fast. Yeah. Like so, 85 is hmm. much faster than you'll see almost any semi on the highway go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, they, they typically later, as we were kind of going through the court proceedings around the whole thing, we found out that um, like typically there's a, a governor on the engine of a semi mm-hmm. that prevents it from going so fast. Um, this guy was from that area. He was very close to home. That was kind of his home turf. Uh, there was a lot of funny business with the trucking company that he worked for. And just a lot of like weird, like where the system really broke down and, and I, I feel in a lot of ways failed my friend and failed me, but ultimately, so she pulled out in front of this truck, this semi, and we were hit, um, we were hit on the driver's side. Um, Kim died immediately. It broke her neck on impact. Um, and we were, we were drug about almost a thousand feet down the freeway. You could actually touch the gouges in the road until they repaved it. Um, you know, however long later, you know, that is almost a quarter mile. Like, you know, it's, it's very, very long. He couldn't stop. He had a full load of, I mean, he just, he realized what was happening. I'm sure there was a moment for him of total panic. I'm sure that that happened. That split second, like right before you hit someone and you see that it's happening, you know? Yeah. They just can't do anything about it. And I have, like, it took me a long time to like kind of hold compassion for the experience that everyone had that day. Uh, it's really easy to get like really kind of sucked mm-hmm. into your own sadness and your own hurt and pain. Um, you know, my, my dad was the first person back to the truck that we were in. And he, as he tells his memory about it, he heard the crash and his first thought was, oh my gosh, there must've been someone behind the girls. And then he looked, 
Yeah. And then he looked in his, looked in his, the mirror on his motorcycle and realized that we weren't behind him. And I think about that moment for him, like, how do you, how do you know that your child who is supposed to be behind you is not, and you, you're seeing this crash, you're seeing this, this truck pulling this other truck behind you in your mirror and just metal debris flying over the top of the semi, knowing that your child is there. And as I became a parent later in life, like, you know, sometimes those thoughts and you just go like the amount of pain that you have to just process or figure out how to sit with to experience that. And that doesn't even get, so then you have my friend's father who was there as well. He heard it. He tried to turn his motorcycle around. These were big touring motorcycles. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ended up. Backward. Yeah. Ended up dumping his bike, trying to get back. <clears throat> and that was his only child. So to be in that moment, like so much, there was just such a convergence of like emotion and energy and trauma and all of these things that I think people that haven't been through something like that and trauma, like on whatever level, like if somebody hasn't gone through that process and hasn't like dug into all the different sides and all the different things that play into that, and all the different things that people will carry with them for the rest of their lives. I just don't think that, I don't think people can understand just how like intricate though that emotion is woven into the fabric of who you become from that moment forward. Especially at a young age, you know, yeah. that, that's a big thing. Cause you're still building all of your perception of, of life. And it oh almost, and then you also, on top of that, you don't have the emotional tools at that age to deal with almost anything, you know, even like yeah. just a simple car breakdown, you really don't have the emotional tools to deal with that at that age much yeah. less something that most adults, you know, just can't even process, you know, with vast life experience. I think the biggest, I, you know, there's so many things. And like, as I get older, new things pop up that relate back to that. And I think, you know, part of it was, okay, I was 14. So here I am like going through puberty. So my, my, your brain, your hormones, everything from a biological standpoint is fucked, right? You're, and then all of a sudden, your whole perspective. So I, I think there's, there's kind of two sides of trauma, especially childhood trauma. You have that kind of continual low grade, maybe your parents are abusive or neglectful, or, um, you know, you're just kind of getting this continual, like your life is just kind of these continual small traumas. And then you have the other side if you're going to experience trauma in your young life where it is hard fast and immediate and everything that you experienced before that point you are no longer even able to like emotionally access that because you have now done a complete paradigm shift into your understanding of reality and who it is that you can be from that point yet you have no understanding of this moment you have no understanding of why. And then you're constantly on this, on this heightened 
fight flight response where that can happen at any moment. So you never feel safe. It could be, you could be out with friends watching a movie and there's part of you that goes, something terrible can happen right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it colors everything. It colors your whole life until you, I mean, I've done a lot of work mainly in the last couple of years to try to separate that, that stuff out and try to <laughs> yeah get to a place where it can like process as a fully functional human. What was like, how did you even like go about your day at like, even in the following like months, like what, how did you, like, I don't even know like how you, even act normal. Like, I don't even know how you care about anything that happens in life after that. Cause it's just like, what's the point? Oh yeah. So it's interesting. So in the experience of the accident, I was ejected from my body. Um, well, I mean, I remember looking down on the scene and seeing my body, seeing my dad running up to the car, hearing the sound of his scream when he got there, seeing my friend with her head on back on my shoulder, gone. And, and I felt like I was being held by, it felt like my grandmother who had just passed about a year before. And and like a couple other beings. And that was like my first taste of like, oh, like there's something else that's out here. There's something else going on. Uh, and I wasn't scared. I was very like, I, I felt, I just felt confused in a very like, mm-hmm. like just taking it all in, but safe. And, you know, then I kind of, I came back into my body. I went into shock, kind of started to have that very like human experience with the recovery process. So initially I was in total denial of what had happened. My dad kept trying to kind of approach the subject with me, see how I was doing. My, my mouth was, had been broken. I broke my jaw in a couple places and I had broken my back, a couple bones so initially I was in the hospital for about a week. Um, and then when we came back to Columbus, it was like the surgery that had been done on my face initially was wrong. And so they were going to have to re-break it and wire wow. it shut. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it was like a gift that kept on giving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it, like when I went in for my initially I think I was like okay like you know we can do this we can get through this we can get through anything which I think is just that blind like I'm coming off of this uh, this feeling of like I just met God worse everything's going to be fine like this is just confusing right now we'll just figure it out yeah and then within a couple weeks when I had to get surgery again and they broke my jaw and wired my mouth shut and I'm laying in the hospital and my dad said that that was the moment that like the light was gone from my eyes. Like it was just too much. And I remember just being in that moment, just like, like, I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do, but I can't do this. And like, 
it was awful. And just if you've ever had your, or know anybody or anybody listens to this, that's ever had their mouth wired shut or has known anybody that's had their mouth wired shut. It is a experience like nothing else. They wrap the metal wire through the gums around the tops of your like teeth in the gum and they anchor it. They anchor it through hooks that are just metal hooks. So it is just, it looks freakish and it is so tight and so tense. And they give you a little plastic syringe that you put on like the end of like a tube that anything that you eat, you have to be able to suck through your teeth that are clenched tight. And so the tension headaches and the hunger, it's, it's insane. You can't can't get any level of calories doing that. And then even if you could, like, really, what kind? Uh, I, French was a big, big fan of French. Um, yeah, I was actually one of the lucky ones when I had broken my jaw, I I have a fake tooth here. So knock that out. So my (laughs) gap was a was like a size that I could fit like a straw in. So, uh, I got particularly lucky. Um, so I could puree like universal canal for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they knew that was like a push too far. (laughs) I will at least give her a tooth space that she can do something. You can at least drink a little bit. Yeah. We'll let her fit a straw in there. (laughs) We'll give her that. It's a good compromise. Right. So, yeah, I think that that was, it's, it's a like back to your original question in those really kind of after that point, cause everything was really fast when, cause when we got back to Columbus, this happened in West Virginia. We thought we were just going in for a follow-up appointment with an oral surgeon, just to have somebody that was in Columbus that could just make sure everything was healing correctly. Mm-hmm. And we went in for that first appointment. And he was, he, I mean, he looked, took one look at my mouth and he was like, this isn't right. Like, and from that moment, things started to like, just go downhill really fast. And that's when I started to just disconnect. So I went through this period where my dad would try to talk to me about it. And he was kind of, it was bringing up a lot of old trauma from his childhood and his brother dying and just, you know, all of that's coming to the surface for him. And, and just kind of the ripple effect that went through my family, through my cousins, I mean, aunts, uncles, like it was, it was, um, it had a massive impact. And I went through this, like it was almost too much. It was almost too much attention. It was, it was too much to process. And my mind just checked out. Like there was a point I remember my dad looking at me like, like how you know just asked me how I was doing that day or something and I could not remember what he was asking me about I was like I'm fine like it was really I had like and they say that this can happen in like moments of severe trauma where your mind is trying to protect you Mm -hmm. and it just deletes the files and I think that I, I think it had just become too much. Like I just wasn't able to 
things were happening so fast and they were just getting worse and worse and things. And, and then you're starting to real, you know, then they had my friend's funeral, but they, they, the, the adults felt it was best for me to not go to the funeral because they, it would be too intense for the people that were there. And it, so like, I never had closure and it was just like, yeah. you know, I remember sitting at home alone on the couch with, you know, my back's broken. I can't move. And like my mouth's wired shut. And like everyone in my family is at my friend's funeral who had just died on my shoulder. Like it was so Which much. sounds so much like orders of magnitude worse than if you would have gone to the funeral. Like just, okay, I'm going to sit at home in this entire state and nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're I just, you know. What, I, think, I think they thought they were doing the right thing her body was cremated in the last in the last year I've actually really wanted to see I don't know like have a grave site I didn't know she was cremated nobody ever told me and I reached out to my mom and I was just like hey do you know where Kim is buried like I I think it's time for me to to go and to like you know and now we're we're what 20 years later and she was like oh well she was cremated like it was just so really like, 20 oh. years later you found out i just like literally just a few months ago oh really yeah wow i i think part of that was like i just couldn't ever ask the question yeah so in my mind she was buried on a beautiful hill mm -hmm. and with you know with the gorgeous graves you know headstone and i think i just wasn't I just couldn't bring myself to ask the question of where that was. And then when I did finally work up the, you know, I did enough work to ask the question, then it wasn't even there. Like it wasn't yeah. even. It was almost anticlimactic in, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, and it kind of showed me, I think that I have to find my closure in different ways. Like I thought that that was going to be kind of like, oh, okay, I'll do this thing and it will give me closure even mm -hmm. this many years later and I, I could hear my guides like just in that moment or when you have that that knowingness and that realization when you find out that that's not an option and you just go like okay like you're you want me to to dig in even more like you're not letting me off the hook that easily like if I'm getting real closure it's going to be beyond that like okay like I'm in I'm in let's do it <laughs> yeah i guess that kind of is you know that would give you in a sense like a physical closure but not not like a more spiritual energetic closure to all the trauma and so it's and it's probably you know i'm sure it's much harder to go into that than to just you know just like you know have the physical closure part and you know so when so you, how old were you again when when you got hit 14. 14. It was so the you... summer before. It was the June. It was the day after Father's Day in June um, in 1998. What day? Is that the 21st? Or something it, like that? The Father's Day kind of rotates around. Okay. Uh, so it actually happened on the 21st. And then I started my freshman year of high school. <laughs> the next. Yeah you know, at the, at, in the fall. Um, 
my face was so messed up. The older kids would call me horse face. And like, it was just kind of like that typical high school, like, how is this my life right now? <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Um, did you did you like make friends after that or like how how did you just like socially deal with it afterward so um I was really into music I was really I played clarinet eventually I went to college for um for for clarinet um and going into high school, the high school that I went to had this big competitive marching band that would travel all over the country and had a really good reputation. It was really competitive. So it, it made it, it gave me something to work towards to heal my mouth. Um, I actually became the second freshman in the history of my school to ever make the highest band and that was a couple months that was I was rehabilitating my jaw I was practicing all the time working really hard it was like it kind of gave me these um music gave me things that I could just focus on and just keep working on and so I became a really good clarinet player and had you know colleges looking at me and all different things and it made it so that I could people were my friends. It's kind of like, you know, I realized like it's you know, in music, we don't really think of these dynamics. You know, this is more of like, you know, sports and cheerleaders and whatever. But in the music program that I was in, it was so big. It was so popular. Um, you know, the, a band kid was the homecoming king, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was popular because I was, um, I was so good at my craft. Uh, I, I really struggled and I, I, it wasn't, hasn't been till recently where I've been able to kind of put some, I don't know, some kind of, I've reconnected with a lot of people that I knew from that time that I was in high school and band with at now as my fitness coaching clients. And I never would have expected that I never would have thought that those worlds would ever collide again I looked back at that time in high school with a lot of shame and guilt because I feel like I was so bananas out of my mind in terms of my own internal struggle which I think as young girls I think we think everybody can see our internal struggle mm -hmm. but you know I'm I'm sure they didn't really know, but I felt such shame of like being just out of control, being like this emotional little, like, like not having anything to ground me to this reality, this experience. And I was just running from thing to thing to thing, digging in all my energy and attention. There's a, there's a phrase, um, like, are you driven by pain or are you driven by pleasure? And some people are, they're running from pain and that's what's pushing them forward. That's what's keeping them, you know, dedicated to whatever it is that they're focused on. And I was very much that way. I was just running. And so I never really developed, at least in my mind, I had friends, but it was, I didn't feel like I had people that really knew me. Yeah. Felt. I think that, you know, kind of 
goes to, especially with all the experiences like you, I don't, I don't think people can really make good friends until they know themselves, you know, cause you can't, how can someone accept you and love you for who you are if you don't know who you are and then you aren't fully embodying who you are or loving yourself, you're never going to get friends that give you that or partners that give you that. So, I mean, that's kind of this like difficult journey that I think most people go through that they have yeah. you know, friends that you think like, Oh yeah, yeah, we're friends. And then it just is like, it dissipates over time and you kind of shed all these layers of yourself getting down to like that, the core of the apple. And then once you get there, then you can find people. But how, how long do you think it started taking you to like, I don't know, just figure out where your core of your apple was, I guess. (laughs) Man, you know, it's kind of, there was, there was other things kind of playing in that time frame too, like not to backtrack, but um, one of the side effects, and especially at that particular time, and this played into later kind of finding myself was because I had my mouth wired shut. And because I was a young girl, I lost a bunch of weight and I, all of a sudden I entered high school. Once the swelling went down in my face and once I kind of looked like a normal human again, um, you know, and I'd cut all my hair off into this like cool pixie, which was like real, you know, kind of what was, uh, Mr. What, what was like the motivation for that? Was it like, it was a Britney Spears or... moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that it was Britney before Britney was Britney. Start... <laughs> it's like a visual yeah. representation. Yeah, man, when I saw Brittany shave her head in 2007, I went, oh, shit, I know this girl. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know what pushes that. I think it was just this, like, I'm going to change my identity. I'm going to, you know, and I I was always kind of, like, changing and evolving my life. It was like I couldn't just be comfortable in being me, so I was always, like, coloring my hair some crazy color or crazy makeup or this or that and I mean later it served me well I became a hairstylist so you know it worked out but but yeah it was just uh I'm gonna be somebody different and I so then at that time like going through that I and we talk about having friends and girls at that age are so I don't know it's it's kind of scary there there's a lot of eating disorders going on there's a lot of like friends but kind of mean girlfriends and like you nobody knows themselves and I think you know I lost a bunch of weight going into and I wasn't heavy I just became very thin and in the late 90s that was kind of that that chic look that girls were going for yeah it wasn't like lifting weights good body fat then it's just like you are so skinny thin you know it was the uh it was the kate moss era of supermodels kate moss was like in that time and she heroin chic was was a, a a name of a look of what girls were aspiring to and it was yeah yeah and just being very thin and so then i think that when I, I was able to, you know, 
part of it was driven by like, okay, here I had just had, I injured my back and I, you know, all these things. And so now I have the opportunity to be physical, but I didn't really know what to do. I was just kind of interested in it. So I started running all the time. Well, then you start dating like the idiot guy that's like, well, you know, if you ran more, you'd be skinnier, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then in your mind, and then you've got other girlfriends that their boyfriends are telling them the same things. And now we're all in this, like feeding each other or not feeding each other, yeah. frankly, <laughs> depriving uh, each other of food. Yeah. Uh, of this like, kind of unhealthy thing. So it's almost like maybe we all, all of our, our unspoken traumas all kind of like drew ourselves to each other. And then we just kind of, uh, became like this terrible influence on each other I don't know but it started it started that cycle that continued for a long time of like borderline anorexia you know I don't know it was never a diagnosed thing uh I certainly feel like I had friends at the time that pushed it to much further extremes than I did but I was certainly in the ballpark and then, then as you get older and that's unsustainable or you go to college, you start drinking and then you're, you're gaining weight. And so now you're in this constant like ebb and flow of torturing your body and not loving it. And I think for me, all of that came from this internal feeling of like, my body failed me. This can be taken from me at any moment. So it's like kind of this this almost self-loathing, the self-guilt and self-hatred that I've been really digging into lately and how it relates to like all of the trauma, all of the, the offshoots of pain that happened from that one day in the summer of 1998 and how it's filtered into how I treat my body, how I allow others to treat me. At, at that time, it was just really unhealthy I got into drinking really bad um yeah it's just really kind of like I forget your original question I don't know if I answered it <laughs> um I mean I think that's kind of you know that's general I think I, I had asked you know, like when like that whole process like when did you feel like you were starting mm. to find yourself that's on right. some level at least that's right. So, man, it took a long time. I feel like you were there for that moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that probably. Um, I, I think I had to unwind. I, I became like a person that wanted to, I, I was self-hating. Like I look at it now and there's no other, like some of it was good. Some of, sometimes you can self-hate yourself into a lot of success. Mm-hmm sometimes it all blows up in your face. It's such a teeter-totter of, of not having any control or balance, not being grounded at all. And I, then I, you know, you kind of attract what your, what your vibe is, what you are. And I attracted some very great people and I attracted some real shitheads and I, you know, I would put myself in compromising positions with men, uh, some not known, you know, some, some men took advantage, uh, and, and some, I was just, it, it, and all of it, I think boiled down to just this 
internal like deep self-loathing and just not just immense guilt like and I I don't know I'm still digging through that I'm still processing I'm still kind of figuring out what all that means but I can look back and just like oh man I was drawing all of these experiences to me Mm -hmm. based on this like sad broken little person that that I just couldn't even figure out how to sit with yet so I think when it started to change so I met Chris thank God when I was, (laughs) (laughs) when I was 19 and I had dated other guys and I had been serious or they thought we were serious in my head. I had never met anybody that I was like, Oh, this is the guy. Like it it did. It was always just like, Oh no, like you're fine for right now until I run away from this, which will inevitably happen. So when I met Chris, which is a, that's a whole other like hilarious story in itself, just that whole time. Um, it was, I, I knew immediately, I like, I felt on a very like deep energetic level. I knew immediately that he was strong enough to hold me. And I can't really explain it beyond I just, it was immediate and and I've never, I've never experienced anything like that. I feel like when we met you very similar, like it was just like, Oh, you're our person. Like, yeah. (laughs) Chosen life partner. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. And I think with, with that, with coming to him, it, he, I mean, and it was messy. It was messy for a lot of years. There's still days we've been married for almost a decade we've been together for almost 20 years there's still days it's very messy but he has always been able to he's to ground me mm-hmm. so in that time it he I mean and he didn't know himself either um so it was completely like higher selves higher power like like, I feel like a lot of times the guides were like, okay, if we just keep them in proximity to each other, it'll work out. We just have to like, keep them <laughs> yeah. near each other. <laughs> so that was, um, that, that allowed me to really begin to process because I could stop running. And I, it's not for like, there was definitely times when I tried to run or I would self-sabotage. That was like, that was my, the name of my game. Like I would be doing really good for a while. And then for no reason, no rhyme or reason, I would just burn it all to the ground, whatever it was, whether it was my relationship, friendships, my job. A lot of times it was my job. I think a lot of people, you know, don't recognize that. And that's kind of, I think something that's, I think that's one of the biggest things to learn, you know, something even that I'm learning, it's just like, the ways you self-sabotage yourself and you don't see it. You think you're just living your life and like, Oh, I made a mistake or, you know, just bad luck or whatever it is. And you just don't see it at the time of like, like, no, you are like projecting this whole image of yourself into your environment. And then it's all just making everything swirl around and you're making these bad decisions, not just because you made a mistake, but because there's like a deep, thing going on within yourself and it is like really difficult to start recognizing that and start seeing that oh this isn't just 
a mistake. This is me subconsciously doing something, I guess, intentionally, if that can be put together. But it, it, it's really hard to see it, like very hard. How did, you, how did you even, I don't know, I guess, how did you figure out that that was what was going on? Um, the biggest turning point for me came when I started working out and started doing it consistently, which I will forever be grateful for Aaron Diamond forever. I had opened my little salon loft. This was in 2013. I had just had my, my last baby, my, my little girl. I was at that point, I had yo-yoed a hundred pounds and I was at the high end of it. And I didn't have it in me anymore to starve myself. I just, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't, it was, I knew it wasn't right. And I didn't have, I wasn't being driven by that same force anymore. And when I started, when I met her, she had opened a gym in Hilliard. I mean, just, I think now all the little pieces that had to come together, she came into my salon on a Groupon I was running. Um, and just, we just clicked right away. And she had a little workout group at nine in the morning for sometimes five days a week. And whether my diet was shit, I, I was drinking to excess at that time, um, all, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I really struggled to lose weight, but I showed up. I showed up every morning. I had that time with other women where I felt like I was connected to a community and I was doing something for myself and I was doing something I'd always been interested in, in learning about. I always had wanted to know how to lift weights, but I was always really intimidated by, you know, that side of the gym. And here was this God-given opportunity with you know, people that ultimately really changed my life. And I think just showing up and I, I see this with my coaching clients, there's something in the consistency of a daily practice. Diet and exercise are great for this because it's so daily. It brings you into your body. When you're counting macros and calories, it's not so much about the counting the macros and the calories so much as it is you are becoming consciously aware of how you interact with your own body. And that in itself begins to bring up everything, brings up so many raw emotions and things that have been undealt with and traumas and and it can enhance your awareness when you then add meditate or you add working out into it, which can become kind of a, an early form of meditation because you're just focusing on this one thing. You're just doing, especially when you do it with a coach and you're not really making the decisions of what you're doing. It's just being given to you and you're just doing it. You're able to allow your mind to just disconnect from a lot of the other debris that's floating around. And so I think working out and watching what you eat isn't so much about weight loss. It, I mean, it is to a degree, you know, 
But if you have unresolved trauma, pain, things that you are running from, it's going to bring them all up and you're going to have to deal with them. And I think for me, it just started that process. Which is like hard, I think, for, you know, maybe some people to realize, because if you'd have told me before I started working out, like, oh, this is going to, you know, bring up your insecurities and your different emotional blockages and stuff. It doesn't, you don't think. No, I don't think anyone thinks of working out in that way. You think you just you know, lift weights and you get jacked type of thing. And, and you don't think about the, the like mental aspects that play into it. And a big thing I think with that also is like the daily, like you, either working out or tracking macros or being aware of your food. If you do that every single day, it is just like a slow affirmation to yourself that I am worth actually putting effort into myself and making myself better. Like I'm not, I'm like, I am actually worth this effort. Cause I think there's a psychological process that goes on when someone just, you know, gets to a point where they're overweight and unhappy and they kind of want to change, but just can't get themselves to do it. Then they just continue this cycle. And in that state, you're affirming every day that I am not worth putting effort in. I, you know, that's it. it everyone is worth so much and, and, but it all comes down to how much do you recognize that of like that, that baseline is always there of your worth. It's just how much you perceive that. And, and I think that's what really kind of sticks is, you know, the biggest part about mindset is being able to start shifting that so that you can start believing that you're worth the effort. Cause that's one of the hardest things you see so many people that are unhappy with their weight, but they just can't, they can't do it. They just can't quite get themselves to go in the gym and they're not lazy. It's not, it's not that there's all these different little words like, Oh, they're just lazy. You know, I just like to eat. And all of that is just like, I can't recognize my self-worth. There's truth. And then there's your perception of truth. And people so often live in their perception of truth, whether that's about themselves, about the world around them, about their, fear, their lack, abandonment issues, whatever it is that then offshoots into the manifestation of their reality. What doesn't get looked at without meditation, awareness, a daily practice is the truth. You have to separate from your what's your perception and what's actually true. And you have to constantly fight and work and, and, you know, I say that, like, I shouldn't say it fight and work, but you have to show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to, to stop the perception of reality and the chaos of day-to-day life in this third dimensional matrix that we live in. You have to be willing to step away from that in order to give yourself an opportunity for what's actually the truth to become part of your awareness and become part of who you are. And I think that is the, when people work out, when they focus on diet, if they know that piece, if they know that, hey, this is gonna bring up a bunch of stuff for you, you can get through it, through the other side by continuing to show up in these ways because you will build self-confidence, it will shift your mindset, in, in very subtle ways and it will be continual. If you can show up in that way and then hold awareness that 
okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to these two, two simple things. Then it will bring me back to, I'll have that awareness. I'll be able to know that when the things come up and the, the inner traumas or the self-sabotage, which is, is the biggest thing. And you can say, oh, okay. And you can just hold that awareness of like, okay, this is happening. That's going to help you to see the truth of what's happening and not get lost in your perception of the truth. In my opinion. That's like, uh, um, the, the quote Rogan always talks about from Misasi, where like when you know the way broadly, you see it narrowly, and it's just perfect for fitness. That when you see what can happen when you start giving things to yourself and putting effort into yourself, and then even when you're tired and it's hard, you know, the same thing with running, even when you're tired and it's hard, you still like, okay, I'm gonna put in the work, I'm gonna keep going. And then when you face, you know, whatever, whatever difficult thing is, whether it's like a a problem in a relationship or something like that, you just kind of know in your brain that, okay, if I just stay true to myself and I just keep going forward and I keep working on whatever this is, like I can get through it, even if it feels really hard and, you know, my brain tells me I can't, there is a way and I can do it. And you know how to do it broadly because you've done it before. Yeah. And I can go into so many different things that I can apply to, you know, there's yeah. so much crossover in life. Yeah. And really it's just, and maybe, you know, maybe for somebody it's not diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest one. It's the most culturally accessible one that I have found because it's just a matter of, you know, everybody's interested in changing some form of something on themselves and it opens that door to self-love and, you know, all the different mental aspects that, that diet and exercise taps into in the process of doing that. But it doesn't have to be that. It just has to be where in your day do you disconnect from all the things pulling on you to just tell yourself and show yourself that you're worthy like yeah just has to be somewhere in your day yeah and another thing like you just don't learn growing up of just you know simple things of like how to start teaching your brain to look at things in a more positive outlook and you know I, I hear you know there's someone I know that um they I forget what they said that you know they're like oh you know I'm not really you know I'm not I'm not like a what's the word I'm looking for? Not a pessimist or an optimist. He's like, I'm not necessarily an optimist. I'm just a realist. So like his perception is that reality is inherently negative and that reality means negativity and that optimism is, is an unrealistic thing. And that that's not really what it is. And life is just kind of this way. And, and you just kind of see that like, he, you know, he never, gave himself a chance to look at it a different way that, you know, if, if optimism is unrealistic, then what makes you think that having a negative outlook is realistic? What makes you think it's not unrealistic? And it's just, he he was never taught to train his brain to at the very least see some positive in things. And I don't even think like, I didn't even know how to do that until I was like introduced to the concept of, you have to start teaching your brain 
to find the good and the positive in yourself and in, in your environment. And, it, and it's a thing that you have to almost actively cultivate through whatever. It's a it is. Yeah. 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 Like, that's why like a gratitude practice sounds like, okay, cool. You have a gratitude practice. But if you start doing that every day, at least a little bit, you start building the actual neural hardware to look at things positively and also to look at yourself positively. And, and it's not unrealistic. It's just like you have the option to shape every experience as a growth or a, a positive or a negative that I've learned nothing from. And, and then that just allows your environment to just tell you all the time that everything is bad and you're not getting anything from this. And, and then that, I think that a lot too is, you know, like that's where it's easy to fall in the nihilistic mindset of like, if everything is kind of this inherently negative thing, then yeah, of course, like this whole thing's pointless. If everything sucks, yeah, this whole thing is pointless and there's no meaning and there's no reason for it, you know, and just, you know, deeper aspects to that. But I think a lot of people who are in that mindset aren't looking at like a deeper philosophical thing. They're just seeing negativity and none of this is worthwhile and they never find meaning. And you have to cultivate meaning. I think too, like that, that even comes back to, so if someone's perception of reality, perception of truth is that they're a realist, the world is negative, they find negative wherever they look, they, you know, doubt the power of gratitude or they then are also completely living in a blind spot that they may not be aware of that because they're looking at the world that way, because that's all they're seeing, because that's all that they're open to, then they're not dealing with, okay, I have unworthiness issues that make this so that I can't see this from a different perspective. I have trauma that, you know, that could be from the moment you were born. It's all stored in the body. Every experience we've ever had is energetically in our body. And some of those things are hard to, to move through from an energetic level. So, I mean, the birth process alone is traumatic. Let's say nothing else ever happened in your life. You may be holding this experience that says the world is unsafe. I am unworthy. I'm afraid. And if you, of course, if you, you've never look at that and examine those feelings and go, okay, how do I move this through? How do I, how do I look at this from all sides and become okay in, in the space that that is in my life and what that holds, then you're going to be in a blind spot and everything, and you're going to be the realist. You're going to be the world is dark and cold and, you know, I'm not going to be taken by surprise. Well, you must have been taken by surprise at some point that whether you remember it or not, and you are so afraid of that happening again, that that you are going to shift your whole reality into this, I'm a realist. What is that going to serve for you? You're just being, you're just in a blind spot. And that's okay. We all have them. But if you can, you know, it's part of that becoming the conscious observer and standing back and being able to look at all the things going on. You know, I have things that pop up in my life that, that I, you know, have a knee jerk reaction to, and then have to unwind it and go like, okay, well, mm. this is probably really part of this thing. And I'm feeling, and sometimes I still go and I go, you know what? No, I'm, 
I'm mad and I'm going to be mad. <laughs> so that's where I'm at with it. You know, where you feel unworthy, or you feel self-esteem or we feel, we have, you know, self-love issues and, you know, all these things that we're all learning in this, you know, earth experience that we're in together. Like we're all learning these things. But I always, when I see people that are so sure that they know it, so dead set in their way, and this is how it is, I, I have, it almost breaks my heart because you can, they are, you can see the trauma pouring out of them because otherwise they, they wouldn't sit in that space, that polarized of a space. They're protecting themselves on such a deep level from something that's happened to them or some feeling that they don't want to feel. And it's so sad. Like you, not sad. It's not a pity thing. It's just a, you want to just like hold that space from then go like, it's okay. Like just, this will pass. You can go, you can shoot straight through the other side of these dark feelings. If you're just willing to look at them for a moment and you'll come out the other side and you'll have a totally different experience. Yeah. It's kind of like, like if you've been through that trauma, like you have, and then you see it in someone else, it's almost like if you've ever like played a song for someone that you really, really liked, then you play it for them and you, and and they don't really like it. And it's just kind of like, it's just kind of disappointing. Cause it's like, Oh, I want you to share like in how, in this feeling that I have for what I'm experiencing, I want you to have it too, because I care about you. And then when they don't have it, it's just kind of disappointing. Cause you wanted, cause you care about them and you want them to have that experience. Cause it feels good to you too. And you want it, you want to have that thing. And, and you know, and, it's, it's eating them up, you know, yeah. cause, cause you know, for me, like I've been there, I lived a lot of years in a very sad, dark place and, and some days still do. I think, I do think it's my superpower now though. I, I feel like whenever I meet new people or, um, I don't know, I'm always like, I can always zero in on like, who's got shit going on. Yeah. And, um, Aaron always makes fun of me that I'm like I can get anybody to open up about anything at any moment you're like my but dog when just... she like smells food somewhere it's like I smell it and she <laughs> goes in and seeks and finds it yeah <laughs> it just makes it's it's just you see that like if, especially as I've come more into like ownership of of my self and my story you see it in other people. And then it's just a matter of holding space because how many times do like somebody that doesn't understand that trauma and then you open up to them and they look at you with that like confused pity almost where they're like, I know I should be saying something to you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people are met with that, that that then just re-traumatizes. So I almost feel like it's my, duty to like have these interactions and hold that space for people to whatever capacity they'll allow me just so that they know that like they're not alone in wherever they're at with whatever they're feeling whatever they're dealing with yeah for that I guess for that person that is in that place in their life or in that mindset what would you tell them to do or, or, or things or actual actionable steps that they can take 
that can just start helping them at least a little bit, start healing, what would you tell them? Um, yeah, I would say to, I think really just hold, oh man, there's a lot of things. Holding love and compassion for yourself, which can be really esoteric and gray. So I like the action items of free journal, just sit down, just write, just if it's 10 minutes a day, that's a really, really good automatic way to, and the words don't have to make sense. They don't have to be sentences. It doesn't have to be a story, whatever words just pop up in your head, just write them. And when you commit to something like that, that helps to start move the energy through you because you see what voices are talking in your head. Is it the negative self-doubt, pain? Is it, you know, over, um, overstretching your ego because you're trying to love yourself? So you're, you know, kind of in this grandeur type feeling. Is that what's coming out? Like, and you start to see what's really happening in your subconscious and you're able to then have more of a say of how that goes. I would say that um, having, you know, I love diet and exercise. It was beautiful for me. It's been beautiful in my life because it's just a daily thing that you can show yourself that you're worthy of functioning through, through this pain. And I think when it happens, when you're in it and you're in, you're having a day where maybe you're super anxious, acknowledge the anxiety, just, oh, okay, I see, I have, I'm holding the consciousness. Anxiety has come to visit me today. I am not anxiety, but anxiety is with me today. And either maybe ask it why it's there, or if you don't want it there and you're over it shit, tell it to leave. Or if it's something where you feel like, hey, I need to process this. I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to feel anxious and just let it be what's happening. When you acknowledge the emotion that you're feeling or the consciousness that's impacting your life or your day, sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes it's anger. When you can sit in it, like lately for me, anger has been coming up a lot. And my old mode of operation would have been to take that anger and to throw it on the people closest to me, Chris, most likely, my children, whoever, where I would just I would find something to lash out about, to nag about, to get upset about, to stew about, because this feeling is coming up in me and I don't know how to hold it. I don't know how to just let it be because anger is a very potent energy. Like it wants to move. And I find like, if you can acknowledge it, if you can step back from it before you throw it on someone else and you can step back and just go, okay, I have anger today. I'm just going to sit in that or go scream into a pillow or, allow it to acknowledge that the anger is with you and that it is there for a reason. And that it's, it's something that is happening. And then you can choose to process it how you want. It doesn't then control you. 
you dictate how you process that through because now you're aware. Same thing with sadness. If you need to just sit and go like, you know, I'm just sad today. And I mean, I have those days where I'll just say like, I'll look at Chris and just go like, I just am going to cry today. I don't know. It just is what it is. And that's, that took a long time because sadness would always be an anger trigger because I'm running from sadness. I don't want to feel sadness. So anger would come up as sadness is like Mm -hmm. good protective buddy. And then it becomes this thing where now I have no control over the emotions that I'm experiencing. I'm not in control over my body and, and the things that are happening. So I think when, if you're dealing with trauma and something has rocked your world, know that it will color so many different things. It will creep up when you least expect it in ways that you never could have imagined. But if you can take it as one moment at a time and be willing to step back and allow whatever feeling and emotion is coming up in that particular moment and step back and look at it and allow it to feel it and to just observe that that is something you're feeling. Anxiety is a tough one. Anger is a tough one. Sadness is a tough one. But you can then start to take control of the power that anxiety, fear, sadness, anger, you can start to take control of the power that they hold over you. Yeah, I think, yeah, all that things awesome. I think it's just really, really good because I, you know, I don't, I don't, I feel like I haven't had that kind of deep trauma. So I, I have a hard time communicating with people like that as much like I it, I just don't quite a lot of times know how how to you know give them completely what they need or necessarily how to hold space so I you know I, I think that that is like just something really good like actionably that someone can do to you know actually start just start valuing themselves and working through all this because it's just life has a tendency to pile up when things are kind of difficult or going wrong, then there's just another thing and another thing and another thing. And then if you start accumulating this pile of all these emotions, and then once you kind of come out of that and start realizing, you know, this, you have to work through this and you have to, you know, actually face them and deal with them. Otherwise you're just going to start just infesting your entire life. You know, it feels like like a hoarder's house of of stuff. Where it's just like, where, like, what room do I even oh, begin? And you can't sort through it. You can't even see your way. You can't. You're th- at that point. You are so disconnected from your now moment and what you're truly feeling now, because now all of these other energies, all of these other emotions, all of these other things have now they're in your space and they've not been dealt with, not been looked at, not been thought about. And it just piles and piles and you've got to unwind that on some level. Now it's quick. Once you start becoming aware and there's, you know, there's only so many consciousnesses that are in that vibration, fear, anger, sadness, guilt, you know, so you, you kind of just are unwinding and having that awareness and looking at that stuff. It'll unwind quickly. You know, you're not, you're not doomed in that. And I don't want anyone to ever feel overwhelmed by where they're at because it's it really is just a switch of awareness and being willing to step outside of the emotion and 
what's crazy. And I think it took me a long time to realize this. And hopefully this isn't too like bananas esoteric, but (laughs) so when we think of energy, we have, and it's like a spiral, right? So we're spiraling up into higher levels of consciousness, which are emotions, feelings, which look like joy, love, peace, you know, those kind of good things, happiness, however you want to label it. And then you have when you're coming down into these lower consciousnesses, uh, lower vibrations, the emotions get heavier. So anger, fear, sadness, guilt, they get, they vibrationally are heavier. So when you step into experiencing one of those emotions, when you start to kind of feel that come into you, it's very difficult for you to step back into the observer and view what's happening. It's like that phrase, you can't see it when you're in it, can't see the forest for the trees because it feels it's so heavy and it's pulling you vibrationally into such a dense state that it's very difficult to separate out of that because awareness is a higher level of vibration to be able to step into that observer role operates at a higher vibration. So if you're down here and you're being sucked down into this kind of vortex of, of dark, you know, heaviness, it's hard to see through it. And I think, so the way that I work on that is by constantly stepping into the observer role, whether I'm in a high vibration state or a low vibration state, I constantly try to remind myself throughout the day, step back, what am I feeling right now? Where am I at? Oh, okay, cool, move forward. What that habit, what that practice has done is allowed for when it gets very heavy and I'm very trapped and can't see I can't see the other side of it. Can't can't see that I'll ever not be angry, right? Anger's a anger's a big one. Mm-hmm. I I have worked on it and kind of trained my mind just by doing that periodically through the day, just observing my emotions, where I'm at, what's going on. So then I have the habit already in place so that when something very dense and heavy that wants to take control of my entire being, I can check myself and I can pull myself back and go, oh, okay. Now I may still have to process through that. I may still, but it puts me in the driver's seat of the emotion and allows me the opportunity to choose how that's going to impact the people that I love, myself, the world around me, my reality. How, how far am I going to let this go? So that was a really good, like just actionable item. The other thing I wanted to say real quick was I find with people so Penny you were talking about how you had never been through like a big trauma right and so you feel like how do you interact how do you hold that space and I I just it kind of just flashed into my head there there are a lot of people in your shoes that know and love someone that has been through something horrendous And sometimes I think there's like, there's such a desire to understand that it can almost feed this like 
not that you're desiring for trauma in your life, but you're desiring to know what that looks and feels and like, what it, what is that? What are, what's all that happening there? And I, for anybody that listens to this, or if there's someone in your life that you love and you kind of find yourself going like, is anything going to happen to me? Like, am I kind of left out of the, of the, you know, crazy story train? Um, your roles as people, you know, trauma comes in everybody's life in some form, like nobody skips out free and everybody's trauma is trauma holds the same energy, whether it is little, big, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's all of the same consciousness. So you have experienced it. I would say don't don't ever get into the game of like yours is worse than mine is worse than theirs because that doesn't feed anything if you feel that your trauma or that you haven't really had much then your role is so important because you're holding space you're able to anchor someone else's energy that has been through something you're able to anchor them you're able to help them if they're in your life, super important to you, you know, a relationship that you love, there's a reason that you haven't had the same kind of trauma that they have had in a lot of cases. You know, they need, we need the ones that haven't been through it as much, just as much as you guys need us. And it's just this kind of loving, growing, circular, like everybody kind of healing together. And it's all very important. I don't yeah. know if that made sense. No, it does. Yeah, it's kind of like the the yin yang of needing equal yeah. forces that are very different but balance each other out, and that is what creates this like cohesive synergistic synergistic existence that we have when we're in good relationships with other people. But um, I think I think I think we we're gonna call it a podcast. And we're going to do another one for sure. Cause I feel like we still have like a lot of different stuff to get into with like fitness and kind of like post, um, post, um, I guess three years ago, Kristen, you know, and yeah. kind of getting into everything that, that you're on now, but I, I, this was, you know, awesome. And I think, I think it's really good. And I hope someone, you know, watches it that had some type of experience like that and, and need some kind of help. And if there is someone who watches it and would like want to contact you, where where should they message you or or where can they find you? Uh, I am on Instagram at Kristen Hansen Fitness. Um, DM me anytime. You can find me on Facebook, Kristen Reed Hansen. Um, but yeah, I'm always open to talk and just uh, get to know other people's stories and where they're at. And if you ever have questions or need a little support, I'm here. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much thank for doing you. this. I'm so excited. My first <laughs> <laughs> is whatever episode it is of the Star Siege Fitness podcast. Thanks, Wes. <laughs>